0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 13. <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter 13 is our text this evening. We will begin in verse 4, and we will actually read through to the end of the chapter. <clears throat> You know it's amazing as you read the scripture you see these mighty acts of God you see so many blessings that God lavishes on his people especially within the old testament as you're looking at God's covenant people and how he's blessing them and and granting to them grace and and all of this and and just you see how excited that they are and and how committed that they are and then a little bit of time passes by, and you see them in the very shape that they were beforehand. And it's it's amazing to see that. In one sense, it's but it, it, and the reason being is that it, it explains to us and, and helps us to see. It demonstrates for us the human condition and what we are prone to do, which is we are prone to wander. We are. All like sheep who who continually turn aside. And especially when there's not those that are there within our lives to help keep us in check. Those that are there to guide us and to lead us into truth. When we don't have that in our lives it is much easier to turn aside and begin to go our own way. Every time I used to get in trouble growing up, my stepmother would always say, you know, when the cat's away, the mice will play. And that's a very true statement, though, isn't it? If there's no one there to keep you accountable and keep you focused, keep you on your toes, inevitably, we will go our own way. And that's what we're looking at here in Nehemiah chapter 13. I mean, what happens when bad behavior, sin, Goes unchecked, more bad behavior, more sin, things go from bad to worse you know we we say we say things in passing and perhaps we we mean well and and maybe it gives us somewhat of an excuse not to engage anyone, but we say things like, you know well, maybe it'll work itself out, maybe this scenario or this situation that this person's in, maybe, maybe it'll work itself out for good. But what ends up happening? Unless someone's going being willing to go intervene and to say something or to do something or to help or whatever, usually it doesn't work itself out because there's no one there to help guide it. There's no one there to say, you need to stop, go the other way. Children are a a really good example of that. You know, they have to be taught, they have to be guided, they have to be corrected. What what happens when there's no one to lead the child? What happens when the parents aren't there? It's kind of a similar scenario about what the judges say. When the judges say, uh, in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Children are like that. They like to do whatever is right in their own eyes. And that's why as the parent, you have to to be there to to correct and to rebuke. To to do these things out of love, of course. And it's not easy to be that person uh, who causes sorrow to your child. You you don't ever want to see that, but inevitably it happens. It's part of it. It's part of training your child. They're going to have times of sorrow. They're going to have times of grief. They're going to have times of pain. As you correct them. It's never an enjoyable thing. It's never an enjoyable thing to correct your child. Because you want to see your child flourish. You want to see your child happy. You want to see them joyful. But there's those instances in which when they do what is right in their own eyes. That they need to be corrected. And they need you as the parent to do it. Right? I mean that's part of it. Well, on a grander scale, this is true of humanity. This is true of, of the children of God. And here we find that the children of Israel continually, I mean, you read the whole Old Testament, they continually needed the intervention of the prophets and men of God to correct their times of wandering and straying from the Lord. It was a continual thing. They would serve the Lord faithfully, a few years go by, idolatry. God chastises them, judges them, brings up a prophet, they begin to serve the Lord faithfully again, a few years go by, back in idolatry. It was just a continuous cycle, especially as you read the Judges. You see that cycle. You see it all through the the Scripture. And that need to to be there, to have have those that are there to, to stand in the way, and what happens when you don't, what happens when there are none, what happens when there's none who are zealous for the Lord, then you have what we're going to be reading tonight in Nehemiah. Last that we left them, back in chapter 12, we've seen, well not just chapter 12, but you had all these lists of names back in chapter 11. You had You had them taking this oath in chapter 10 of all these things that they promised to do. You have the names of those that were there in chapter 11, the names of the priests and the Levites, all of that in chapter 12. They're having this great dedication of the wall. Everyone has been purified. Everyone is committed to the Lord through the preaching of Ezra. You know, their hearts have been softened once again. They are desirous to, to hear the word of God they have the dedication of the temple once their hearts are right before God. They're singing praises to the Lord. You have one, one group of the choir that, that get on this side of the wall and are walking around. The other choir is getting on this side and walking around. And then they meet in the temple courts. And then there's loud joy and it can be heard from afar. They're, they're praising God for all that God has done. And then on that day, we read that they read aloud from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. There was found written in it that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever, ever enter the assembly of God because they did not meet the sons of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. So when they heard the law, they excluded all foreigners from Israel. So in the midst of this great time of joy in this great time of celebration and dedication, they're singing unto the Lord. They're praising God. They read from the law. And as they hear the law read they immediately are aware of other things that need to be taken care of. I mean what do they do? They take care of it right then because they're zealous for the Lord, they're committed for the Lord, committed to him. Well now, there's going to be a gap of time in between verses 3 and 4 where Nehemiah is going back to the king. Nehemiah is going to be gone. For 12 years. So when Nehemiah gets back. After 12 years. Then you find all of these things. That were set right beforehand. Have all went back to the way that it was. And it only took a span of 12 years. For this to occur. Nehemiah goes back to the king. As he said that he would. 12 years are gone. He comes back. And this is what he finds. And one of the reasons why he finds that is because there are, are none that are there, at least, maybe maybe there are. Maybe there are faithful ones there, but their, their preaching perhaps, or, or their warnings and, and all of this are just falling on deaf ears. And then the city once again loses its, its, its identity as the covenant people. Its worship is tarnished once again. The Sabbath is tarnished and violated. The Levites and the singers, they move out of Jerusalem because they're not being taken care of. They have to go tend their own fields now. All the things that he had set up and were dedicated to the Lord within a span of 12 years went back to the way it was before him. And that is, that is exactly what happens when we are no longer zealous and passionate and committed for the glory and the honor of the Lord. That is the one great lesson you find here is the need for true dedication and true commitment to the Lord and to maintain that. Maintain it for your own family, maintain it for the coming generations. Because they did not So, Nehemiah is going to come back. Nehemiah is going to begin to to clean house, as it were. And once again, be used by the Lord to bring the people back to how they need to be. To restore them once again. There never never should be a time in which we become so at ease. And so unguarded. That we really think that there's no need for us to, to be as... As, as committed uh, with, with, that kind of, with that kind of strenuous commitment to the Lord. It's like we've done it and look, we're, we're arrived in these places and we're here now and so we can take a little bit of a breather. There is no breather. There's a need for a constant commitment and a constant dedication unto the Lord. And that's well, we're going to look at some of those things tonight as we work our way through this passage. So if you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. we'll begin in verse 4. This is the inspired, authoritative, infallible, inerrant word of God. Let us give our attention to it. Now, prior to this, Eliashib, the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, being related to Tobiah, had prepared a large room for him, where formerly they put the grain offerings, the frankincense, the utensils, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil prescribed for the Levites, the singers, and the gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priest. But during all this time, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the thirty-second year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had gone to the king. After some time, however, I asked leave from the king. And I came to Jerusalem and learned about the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah by preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. It was very displeasing to me. So I threw all of Tobias' household goods out of the room. Then I gave an order, and they cleansed the rooms. And I returned there the utensils of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense. I also discovered that the portions of the Levites had not been given them, so that the Levites and the singers who performed the service had gone away, each to his own field. So I reprimanded the officials and said, "'Why is the house of God forsaken?' Then I gathered them together and restored them to their posts. All Judah then brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. In charge of the storehouses, I appointed Shelemiah the priest, Zadok, the scribe, and Padiah of the Levites. And in addition to him was Hanan, the son of Zakur, the son of Madaniah, for they were considered reliable. And it was their task to distribute to their kinsmen. Remember me for this, O my God. And do not blot out my loyal deeds, which I have performed for the house of my God and its services. In those days I saw in Judah some who were trading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sacks of grain and loading them on donkeys, as well as wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads. And they brought them into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. So I admonished them on the day they sold food. Also the men of Tyre were were living there, who imported fish and all kinds of merchandise, and sold them to the sons of Judah on the Sabbath, even in Jerusalem. Then I reprimanded the nobles of Judah and said to them, Why is this evil thing, what is this evil thing you are doing by profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do the same, so that our God brought on us and on this city all this trouble? Yet you are adding to the wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. It came about that just as it grew dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut and that they should not open them until after the Sabbath. Then I stationed some of my servants at the gates so that no load would enter on the Sabbath day. Once or twice, the traders and the merchants of every kind of merchandise spent the night outside Jerusalem. Then I warned them and said to them, why do you spend the night in front of the wall? If you do so again, I will use force against you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. Also, I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come as gatekeepers to sanctify the Sabbath day. For this also, remember me, O my God, and have compassion on me according to the greatness of your loving kindness. In those days, I also saw that the Jews had married, married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. As for the children, half spoke in the language of Ashdod, and none of them was able to speak the language of Judah, but the language of his own people. So I contended with them and cursed them and struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, you shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor take of their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin regarding these things? Yet among the many nations, there was no king like him and he was loved by his God and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, the foreign women caused even him to sin. Do we then hear about you that you have committed all this great evil by acting unfaithfully against our God by marrying foreign women? Even one of the sons of Joada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was a son-in-law of Sanballat, the Horonite. So I drove him away from me. Remember them, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus I purified them from everything foreign and appointed duties for the priest and the Levites, each in his each in his task, and I arranged for the supply of wood at appointed times, and for the first fruits. Remember me, O oh my God, for good. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Gracious God, we enter into your presence once again, recognizing that the God that we read of in this passage is indeed. The God whom we pray to now, you are our holy God who requires of us holiness, godliness, to live righteously before you. Father, allow this passage then to be applied to our hearts by the Spirit of God to to produce in us a greater desire for you and the things of God, a greater zeal for your honor and your glory. Change us. Cause us to grow. And may we ever be delighting in you more so than anything else in this world. For you are our all, our all in all. Bless the preaching of your word and may it accomplish all you desire. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> <clears throat> This is kind of disheartening in one way, I'm sure, for Nehemiah as he goes to the king after all this great celebration, all these great things that were done the building of the wall, the commitment of the people, the oaths that they took, Jerusalem being populated once again. So many things that have happened that, that God was engaged in, in, in producing among his people. The last thing that we read of is this great celebration. The dedication of the wall. Nehemiah, no doubt, uh, feeling feeling great perhaps of the commitment of the people of God. God had used him to bring all this about. Not only him, but others. Others who were faithful. And so as he had said to the king, he went back. No doubt he goes back to King Artaxerxes and he brings back the message and Brings back how Jerusalem is no longer a reproach. The walls have been built. People are populating Jerusalem, the city of our God. It is once again a delight. And then 12 years later, 12 years go by, Nehemiah comes back home. As he comes back home, what does he find? The priesthood has been profane, the temple has been profane, the Sabbath has been profane. All the things that they had promised previously, they had violated. And just to bring our attention back to that, <clears throat> back in Nehemiah chapter 10, <clears throat> beginning of verse 28, these are the things that they had said beforehand. After, this is after Ezra had preached. The Levites had expounded the law. Ezra would read. The Levites would explain. In light of all of these things. In light of their repentance and, and all of that. We read in verse 28. Now the rest of the people. The priests. The Levites. <clears throat> and the gatekeepers. The singers. The temple servants. And all those who had separated themselves from the people of the lands. To the law of God. Their wives. Their sons. And their daughters, all those who had knowledge and understanding are joining with their kinsmen, their nobles, and are taking on themselves a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given through Moses, God's servant, and to keep and to observe all the commandments of God, our Lord, and his ordinances and his statutes, and that we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons, As for the peoples of the land who bring wares or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or a holy day. And we will forego the crops the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. We also placed ourselves under obligation to contribute yearly one third of a shekel for the service of the house of of our God, for the showbread, for the continual grain offering, for the continual burn offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed times for the holy things and for the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and all the work of the house of our God. Likewise, we cast lots for the supply of wood among the priests, the Levites and the people so that they might bring it to the house of our God, according to our father's households at fixed times annually to burn on the altar of the Lord, our God, as it is written in the law, and that they might bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all the fruit of every tree to the house of the Lord annually and bring to the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks, as it is written in the law for the priests who are ministering in the house of our God. We will also bring the first of our dough, our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the new wine and the oil to the priests at the chambers of the house of our God. And the tithe of, the, of our ground to the Levites, for the Levites are they who receive the tithes in all the rural towns. The priests, the sons of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive tithes, and the Levites shall bring up the tenth of the tribes or the tenth of the tithes to the house of our God to the chambers of the storehouse. For the sons of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of the grain, the new wine, and the oil to the chambers. There are the utensils of the sanctuary, the priests who are ministering, the gatekeepers and the singers. Thus we will not neglect the house of our God. This is what they promised. This is what they had taken an oath to do. This is exactly what they had broken and violated. Their oath. There's a number of things, of course, that... Nehemiah is going to set right of the temple and the tithes to support the priest and the Sabbath and the separating from the foreigners. You know, him being gone for 12 years, it seems like there were maybe none who had great influence, let's say that, who were in Jerusalem that uh, were rebuking the people, trying to correct them when sin began to creep in. That's that's where that that saying, a little leaven, leavens the whole lump. When a little bit of sin began to creep in, no one's there with any influence because we're going to find that the priesthood themselves were, were violating the things that they had taken an oath. So the leadership isn't doing anything. So anybody that's in the congregation of Israel, let's say, who are trying to rebuke and correct and to warn and all of that, it's just falling on deaf ears. We're following the leaders, Leaders aren't doing anything. And so that little bit of sin that begins to creep in ends up spreading and it ends up affecting everything, affecting the entirety of the worship of Israel. That's why you could actually look back, especially among the reformers, that the reformers were adamant that there were three marks of a true church. A true church of the Lord Jesus Christ must have these three marks. The first is the true preaching and teaching of the Word of God. The second is the correct administration of the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. And the third is church discipline. That was one of the marks of a true church. If you do not have church discipline, then when the true preaching of the Word of God begins to fall into heresy or be watered down, no one's there to say anything. When the sacraments of baptism and the lord's supper begin to be profaned and to be reinterpreted or whatever and there's no one there to say anything everything gets marred the preaching's marred the sacraments the people of god no longer is the and the church discipline is there in order to help keep the church pure and to keep the people of god accountable and when there is no accountability then this is the things that we find the first thing that ends up happening as Nehemiah gets to Jerusalem, he finds that Eliashib the priest, this is not to be confused with Eliashib the high priest, this is another man named Eliashib who is uh, apparently related to Tobiah. He's over the chambers of the house of God in the areas in which they were supposed to put the utensils and the grain offerings and, and all of these things for the worship of the people or for the worship of God. They had taken all these things out. And had taken Tobiah, the Ammonite, who happened to be married to a Judean woman. They allowed Tobiah in the temple precincts, in the storehouse, to be able to live there and to dwell there. Now, just to refresh us a little bit on Tobiah, he was one of the ones back in chapter 4 that was opposed to the rebuilding of the temple or the, the rebuilding of the wall. He was one of the enemies of Nehemiah. He had joined together with Sambalat in his conspiracy to try to cause Nehemiah to sin and to stop the rebuilding of the wall. This man was indeed very influential among the nobles. He was one that had sent letters to Nehemiah threatening him. This is an enemy. An enemy of everything that they were celebrating before Nehemiah left all the accomplishments this man was an enemy of, and yet when Nehemiah gets back, this man is living in the storehouses in the temple precincts. They weren't; they didn't have all the the, the utensils and, and the grain offerings and, and all of those things to to provide for the Levites. They took it all out and allowed this man to live there. It's probably no wonder that the Levites then, because they weren't being taken care of, because this man took up all the area in which. Their supplies would be put. No wonder that they went to their fields. There's no one there taking care of them. So Nehemiah gets there and his enemy is living in the temple precincts. They had allowed this Ammonite. He was an Ammonite. He was not a Judean. the, The Ammonites were part of the enemy of God. They had allowed this man to dwell there in the temple area where the sacrifices and the utensils and all of these things that were used for the worship of the Lord their God were supposed to be kept. Now, in order for this to happen, the leaders had to know that this was happening. The high priest had to know that this was happening. As we're going to find out, the high priest at the time that this was going on was already mixed up in some other things. So there's no accountability, there's no leadership, there's no truth. And then sin is running rampant. That's why there there must be people who are zealous for the honor of God, who are jealous for God's glory. That they wouldn't allow enemies of God to dwell in the place in which God is supposed to be worshipped. Among the area in which God is to be worshipped. This is a foreigner, an enemy, living in the temple area. So when Nehemiah gets there, he learns about this. He learns about this great evil. And so he takes all of his stuff and he throws it out. Cleans house. You've got to think of the courage of Nehemiah for one thing. Nobody else is doing this. Nehemiah gets there, and immediately, once he's aware of it, that's where he's going. How can you all have allowed this to happen? He goes and he cleans house, literally. Because the zeal of God is what consumed him. cleans it all out it's interesting that uh, the way that it describes it it just says it was very displeasing to me so I threw all of Tobias household goods out of the room then I gave an order and they cleansed the room got to purify this cleanse it where this this enemy of God has been dwelling and I returned there the utensils of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense the things that should be there are going back This man is gone. He's out of there. And that is a great lesson to to teach us. And not just in this particular thing, instance, but in in what we're getting ready to read of. The need to to maintain the purity among the people of God. So that none of us are tarnished. None of us are marred by the things of the world and by sin and by by the, the pleasures of the enemy. put hindrances on us that doesn't allow us to worship as we ought because this man being there absolutely tarnished the worship of the house of God. It tarnished it in his presence there. The Levites not being taken care of so they're not there. You know, this is the place in which sacrifices were to be done every day. And especially on the Sabbath, it's to be done twice a day. It's supposed to be a special day that is different from every other. And it's gone. It ain't happening. So not only does he see this. But he also discovers that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them. Perhaps again with Tobiah's presence there there's nowhere to put it the people stopped giving and they're they're out in their fields that's what he says that the Levites and the singers who had performed the service had gone away each to his own field and so what does he do he reprimands the officials that's who he's going after those that allowed these things to happen Those that are supposed to be in charge of helping to govern the people. Because Nehemiah the governor has to go back to the king. So there has to be others there to help govern and watch over the people. To shepherd the people while he's gone. They don't do it. He reprimands them. And he confronts them with that question. Why is the house of God forsaken? Then I I gather them together and restore them to their post. The very thing that you were called to do is the very thing you need to get back to doing. Because look what happened. All Judah begins to bring their their tithes of grain, the wine, the oil into the storehouses. He sets over them some faithful men. Those that he considered to be reliable in order to distribute those things to their kinsmen. His first prayer, there's, there's four of them here in this one chapter. It's very small though. When he prays to the Lord after he's doing these things, remember me for this, O my God, and do not blot out my low deeds which I have performed for the house of my God and its services. This is a place in which God had placed his name, the city of God, that is to be flourishing. Flourishing in its its honoring of God and its glorifying of God. And that's exactly what a church is supposed to be, by the way. A church is supposed to be zealous for the glory and the honor of God and to be cultivating an even greater uh, desire within each other by by expounding the truths of God and speaking of the great things of God and the greatness of our God that it promotes in us a greater desire and a commitment to Him. The church is to be the the visible glory of God on earth until our Lord comes back. You know, back in Ephesians chapter 3, it's very interesting, the wording there, that the Lord is disclosing to the principalities and powers, the 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 heavenly beings. He's disclosing to them the mystery of the gospel. And he's doing it through the church. Because they don't understand. They don't get it. And those things are being manifested. Through the church. Through the people of God. Even to the spiritual realm. The church is the body of Christ. Christ. The glorious body of Christ that is to maintain its purity and its commitment to its bridegroom. And that's done with accountability. That's done with continually being zealous for truth. Following through in obedience in our calling. Standing at our posts. Not being absent from our post, from our calling, from our duty. But to fulfill it. And to fulfill it with commitment and zeal. The other thing that he finds in those days, he says, I saw saw in Judah some who were treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sacks of grain and loading them on donkeys as well as wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads. And they brought them into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. So I admonished them on the day they sold food. This is one of the things that they promised not to do. We're not going to sell food. We're not going to do business on the Sabbath day. Because the Sabbath is to be kept holy. This is is a day honoring the Lord. It's a day of rest. A day of remembering and reflecting upon God. A day dedicated to Him. We're not going to do business because we're not going to treat this special day as every other common day. This day is to be special. It is to be set apart. That's why he he sanctifies the day. It's holy. And what do they do? They profane it by treating it as like every other day. It's no different. It's no different from Thursday. It's no different from Friday. It's the same day no difference meanwhile where the lord had said this is the day to be set apart this day is holy these are the things you are to do on this day these are the things you are not to do on this day in order that you may treat it as holy and what do they do Eh, it's the same it's no different so we buy and we sell We're going to allow the foreigners to come in. They're they're going to bring all their stuff, and we're going to wheel and deal with them. And Nehemiah threatens violence on them. The doors are going to be closed, and those that are camping outside, he says to them, you come back here again, and I'm going to use force against you. It was that serious of a violation that Nehemiah had threatened them to say, This is what's going to happen if you remain here. Because he was zealous for the Lord. This is the Lord's day. We're not going to treat this day as every other day. And in view of that, we have of him righting the wrongs there. Having the gatekeepers to come. To sanctify the, the Sabbath day, to set it right, to have the people to do right on this day. He says, For this reason also, remember me, O my God, and have compassion on me according to the greatness of your loving kindness. And everything that Nehemiah is doing, he's not just doing it on a whim, he's doing it in view of, of the presence of God. He's doing it for his honor. And that's why, after he sets something right and he begins to try to, to purify the day and he's trying to purify the temple, he looks to heaven and he says, Remember me, Lord. Remember the things that I'm doing for you. And have compassion on me according to the greatness of your loving kindness. I'm not in agreement to this, I'm trying to set things right. I'm trying to do what you have, what you have called us to do to be a peculiar people and a chosen a chosen priesthood. I'm trying to trying to bring the people back into obedience and the, to bring them back to the realization of who you are. So remember me. In those days, I also saw that the Jews had married women of Ashdod. This is, this is a Philistine city. They had married Philistines, but not just them, but women from Ammon and Moab. Their identity as the covenant people of God is now being marred. It's now beginning to be lost. The language of the covenant people of God is now unknown to those that are the children of of the Jewish folks and whoever they intermingled with. They don't even know the language of Judah. They only know the language of their people, which is demonstrating how things are within the household, if you will. That the dominant influence in the household, regardless if it was a man or a woman, the dominant influence in the household is that of the idolatrous spouse. There's no teaching of their children. There's no teaching the children to to fear and to reverence the Lord in whose city they live. In whose land they live. But yet they worship their own gods. And we understand that they are worshiping their own gods because Nehemiah even brings up Solomon. There's no one like Solomon. The most Lies of, of in existence apart from Christ himself. What happened to him? He accumulated hundreds and hundreds of wives. Foreign wives who still served their particular gods. And what happened to Solomon? He ended up being led astray to serve their gods too. Even someone like Solomon fell into that trap. And if he's bringing up that particular situation and that was the circumstance, then the implication is you're doing the same thing. That's what they were doing. They had put away the wives of their youth. They had taken for themselves wives of other nations. They had allowed their daughters to marry their sons and vice versa. And once again the covenant people of God Were playing the harlot No longer maintaining the purity In which God had called them to But now intermingling With worldliness With satanic influence Nehemiah He contends with them He curses them He strikes them. He pulls out some of their hair. He once again commits them to do what is right. And to swear. To make this oath once again. That they will not give their daughters to their sons. Or take their daughters for their sons. It's like a rehashing. It's, 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 it's the same thing you had to do before. And actually, this is the very thing that we read back in Ezra, in Ezra chapter 9. When Ezra gets there, this is what they're doing. They've intermingled with the foreign people. Ezra has to set that right. Along comes Nehemiah. Nehemiah is doing real good among the people. Nehemiah leaves. He comes back. It's the very thing that they were doing before. And what what is it that produces that? Why is it that, that, that this would occur? Well, it could be a variety of things. It could be in the sense of they just maybe pursued it, nothing happened, no judgment, whatever, so let's pursue it some more. Well, that guy did it, or that woman did it. Nothing's happening, so maybe we can too. And the next thing you know, It ends up influencing a great number of people because no one is committed to doing what's right and committed to obedience. And that's the thing God does not change, His law does not change. The very thing that He said is sinful is the very thing that is now sinful. Nothing had changed. Nothing had changed within that span of time that Ezra had to deal with it. Nehemiah, well, maybe God changed his mind and it's okay now. No, it's not. Because God is zealous for his own glory, as we ought to be zealous for his own glory. An even greater uh, description of some of these things that that are going on, we find in Malachi. Malachi was a contemporary of Ezra and Nehemiah. Malachi really gives some more insight into what the priests were doing, what the people were doing. This prophet was raised up. Maybe it was before Nehemiah got there. Maybe it was after Nehemiah had got there. But in verse 6, for example, he says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I am a father... Where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest, who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? You are presenting defiled food upon my altar, but you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you, or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? But now will you not entreat God's favor, that he may be gracious to us? With such an offering on your part, he will receive. will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. This is to the priest. In disciplining the priest, there in chapter 2, he says, look at verse 3, Behold, I am going to rebuke your offspring, and I will spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your feast, and you will be taken away with it. That's some really strong language uh, from the Lord. Then you will know that I have sent this commandment to you that my covenant may continue with Levi, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave to them him I gave them to him as an object of reverence, so he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many back from iniquity for the lips of a priest should should preserve knowledge and men should seek instruction from his mouth for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts but as for you you have turned aside from the way you have caused many to stumble by the instruction you have corrupted the covenant of Levi says the Lord of hosts then he begins to describe the sin that's in the family the very thing that Nehemiah is talking about verse 10 do we not all have one father has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously against his brother so as to profane the covenant of our fathers? Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign God. As for the man that does, who does this, may the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob everyone who awakes and answers, or who presents an offering to the Lord of hosts. Chapter 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows." These are the very things that Nehemiah is speaking of that are going on in Malachi. That Malachi being raised up this prophet in order to rebuke the people. This is the kind of situation that they were, that they were in when Nehemiah gets there. It's not just a matter of negligence. This is a matter of profaning worship. This is a matter of disobedience. This is a matter of not, not delighting in the Lord enough to obey him sacrifices of the blind and the lame. This isn't how the Lord said to worship him. You're not giving him the best. You have allowed Tobiah to stay in the storehouses so there's no tithes and offerings there. Nobody's giving. So you're robbing him. You're taking from him. You're allowing the people to, to engage in idolatry. That's what Malachi was talking about too. This is the state in which the people of God were in when Nehemiah gets back 12 years later. Within a span of 12 years, there it is. It wasn't just the people who did it. Even one of the sons of Joiada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was a son-in-law of Sambalat the Horonite. So I drove him away from me. This is in the line of high priest. One of the high priests married a foreign woman, Who, as he says there, he became the son-in-law of Sambalat, who was the great enemy of Nehemiah, the great enemy of the people of God. I mean, how can they fall into such sin? Such defilement? You have his third prayer that is really in a precatory prayer. He doesn't say, remember me. He says, remember them, oh my God because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. So, in light of these things, he says, thus I purified them from everything foreign and appointed duties for the priests and the Levites, each in his task. And I arranged for the supply of wood at the appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, O my God, for good. He had to set it all back right. Within a just a little over a decade, things went the way that they did. He comes back, he has to set it all right. Separate yourself from the foreigners like you did last time. Honor the Lord on the Sabbath. And don't fall into what you did last time. Everything had to be set right. Everything had to be put back as it was supposed to be. That the worship of God would be as it's supposed to be. Honoring to the Lord. That's what worship's supposed to be. Honoring to the Lord. Take care of the Levites and the singers. That they may lead in the worship of God. I mean, so many things went wrong. So many things had to be made right once again. Why? Because a little leaven leavens the whole life. This didn't just turn in one day. This didn't just happen in one day. It happened gradually over time, and no one was there holding anyone accountable that had any influence. You know, Malachi's there. No one with influence is willing to stand up for the Lord, willing to be the one who rebukes or corrects. That's not a fun place to be, not at all, but it is one of the greatest acts of love. Paul says in Galatians six, "If you see a brother or sister in fault, you who are spiritual, go restore such one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourselves also." The very thing that we should be doing as the people of God, one is trying to attempt to keep the church pure, and what that means is, is not just to exclude anybody that's that's uh, you know not up to par, as it were, but it is to hold people accountable to pursue godliness. And if you see sin in the, in the life of your friend, in the, light of, in, in the life of one of our church family, then we go to them and we help to, to, to encourage them or to, to counsel them, whatever needs to happen in order to, to help them to, to cultivate righteousness and, and godliness. And we pray that people would do the same for us, that we, may, that we may pursue our calling and pursue the glory and the honor of God. And to be a church that is, that is honoring to the Lord. But it must take people who are courageous and who are zealous for the glory and the honor of God. We should all be pursuing that. Desiring that. Desiring that for our church. That we will be a covenant people of God who is honoring to the Lord. Who are standing at our posts. Is what we found in Nehemiah. Fulfilling our calling. Fulfilling our duty. Edifying the body. Guiding others. Leading others in truth. Promoting that truth. Delighting in that truth. And not allowing any worldliness and heresy to penetrate into the people of God. That sin would run amok as it did here. This is your church too. This is your church family. And it is the responsibility of each one of us. To seek to maintain its purity and its honor before the Lord our God. So if we see those things in the life of of others, it's uncomfortable, it's not fun, but let us pursue them out 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 of a genuine love for them and a genuine commitment and desire that God would be glorified. There's a lot of lessons that we can learn here from Nehemiah in the sense of that accountability. It was all through Nehemiah. And that should give us a little bit of pause to think, if it's so important then, it should be very important now. And within a span of 12 years, this is the way the people of God went because He left. Because we are prone to wander. All of us are. And we need each other to help keep us straight on the the straight path. So I pray that we would take that lesson indeed and put it into practice to seek to be a true church of our Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Gracious God and our Father, once again, <clears throat> we seek to honor you, to glorify you in all things. Father, we we are all like sheep who go astray. None of us are exempt from that. None of us are above that. Oh, Father, give us such a love for one another that we would not be indifferent when we see each other Falling and stumbling. But that out of a a love, a love of, of that we have for you, a love for Christ, a love for that person, that we would pursue them, to try to help and encourage, to rebuke them whatever is necessary, that they would once again stand on their feet in the power of the Holy Spirit and pursue a righteous life. I pray that we would all desire that accountability for ourselves as we render it to others. That you would use us for your glory and your honor in order to cause growth in one another, to build each other up, to be a people of God, zealous for the glory of God. Father, we love you. We give you all the praise and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's children said, Amen. Thank you for your attention, and you are dismissed.